Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. I am super pumped for today's conversation. And let me just tell you right up front this reason why. You might not know, uh, I was telling our guests this just as we were getting launched. Um, I do coaching, consulting with churches and end up on a weekend, um, you know, at a different church somewhere else talking about how we can help their churches grow. And oftentimes I find myself parroting what my friend today is says when I'm out. And so uh, talking with other churches, because I think what uh, they have to say to churches is so critically important. And so today I wanted to get them on and really try to wrestle some free coaching and consulting out of them for you uh, in this next half an hour. So you're going to want to listen because you're going to have high value. This this half an hour is going to really help you. So super honored to have my uh, friend, longtime friend, multiple time guest, uh, Greg Curtis with us and uh, a new friend, his head Sherpa, Tommy Carreras. Now for folks that don't know, Greg is the pastor of guest engagement at an incredible church in California called Eastside. Well, not just in California, uh, but Eastside Christian Church. They're a multi-site church with six campuses in California, Nevada, and Minnesota, plus online. That's a whole story in and of itself. Uh, It was founded in 1962 and is one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And I would argue because of the great work that they do on assimilation. Tommy is Greg's head Sherpa at Assimilayas, Climbing the Assimilayas, uh, which is a ministry and website that that helps and really shares uh, learnings on how to really help build an effective engagement pathway that ultimately accelerate church uh, churches grow. So Tommy uh, is the lead head Sherpa on this or the head Sherpa on all this stuff. And he's a great uh, leader that you're going to get to want to get a chance to learn from. Welcome to the show, guys. So glad you're here. Uh, thanks for being here today. Awesome. It is so great to be here. And it's great to have Tommy with us too. Nice. It is. Thanks for the invite. I'm glad you're here. Greg, why don't we start with you? Kind of fill in the picture there. Tell us a little bit about your background and then tell us about how climbing the Assimilayas, which I love is a great title, uh, how that all fits together. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the story for folks that haven't listened to the past episodes. Yeah. Well, when I, you know, I grew up at Eastside, was pastor of a church at launch for 27 years, uh, re-merged the churches in 2012. And when I did, I took on this role and got kind of a blank canvas, just was prayerful and just trying to to design a strategy that for what I didn't realize um, was going to be for a church that would become the second fastest growing church in the country during the next few years. When we combined churches, we were 3,200. Seven years later, we were 12,000. So we yeah. still have stretch marks on the church from mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of quick growth. Mm-hmm. And I was just chasing it with a connection uh, strategy. When we put it together um, after the first year, we had a, be- a little less than 2,000 guests identify themselves. And after that first year, we had one out of four come into a small group, one out of seven become a volunteer, one out of 14 cross a border on an international compassion trip, one out of 20 become a leader. And one of the coolest stats was one out of three got baptized. And That's so um, nobody was more surprised than myself and Gene Apple, our senior pastor, but we just continued working and developing uh, really the principles of assimilation that uh, resulted in when people heard about 
the growth. They would call Gene. Gene, how how are you getting people there? And call me, Greg, how are you keeping them there? And mm. I, it forced me to start thinking more critically about mm. what are the what are the the facets or components of an assimilation system or an engagement mm-hmm. pathway, as it's it's starting to be called more often now. What are the facets that transcend scale and culture? In other words, it doesn't mm. matter what size church you are or where in the world it is. What are the common things? And I. I, I realized it was what I call the four P's, that there's one program. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Four P's, it's one place. You send your guests to one place only uh, to mm-hmm. be welcomed and exchange a, maybe a welcome gift for their contact info so you can build the relationship. One place leads to one program, which is a special environment that you create where people can connect. And by virtue of just coming, they are automatically in Two processes, that's the third P, two processes, which is a volunteer placement process and a small group placement process. And that lands them finally in two placements. So it's one place to one program that gets you in two processes that lands you in two placements, a small group and a ministry team. Small group says, I have friends, which means I'm wanted at the church. And a ministry team says, I have a job, which means I'm needed at the church. And mm, being wanted mm-hmm. and needed are two sides of the same belonging coin. So the weird thing is I was using Prezi uh, back then mm-hmm. uh, to report on this to the staff, that moving thing. And it had a template of Mount Everest with the summit being your goal. And then you shared all those stats like I shared earlier on the way yep. up. And I made a dad joke that just said, so basically, uh, we're all Sherpas helping people climb the Assimilaya so that they can connect with God and community. And it got kind of a laugh <laughs> bigger than it deserved, but it stuck. And yeah. and I started really thinking how every church feels like right. it's a coast to connect with them because they're a friendly church, which really means they're friendly to each other. And mm-hmm. it's we had to realize that it's not a coast for people to connect to a new community. It's always a climb. And every one of them mm-hmm. deserves a Sherpa to kind of put a ladder over the chasms and to direct them to the best path for them so that they can reach that summit of full connection with God community. So that's that's kind of how I ended up uh, because of so many churches literally around the world that I've been able to um, help and 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 uh, contextualize and even learn from them about how mm-hmm. the four Ps work in their scale and culture. And uh, so it's just become something to help churches with so that they're great at connecting mm-hmm. the people God's bringing to them every weekend. Yeah, so good. And Tommy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Give us your story and how do you how did you and Greg get connected? How did that how did that magic happen? How did that peanut butter and chocolate thing happen and you guys are working together? How's that how's that yeah, working? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you chose my favorite combination there, peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> uh, back in 2013, I showed up in Ventura, California as a worship arts resident, uh, which doesn't really lead to assimilation, you would think, but oh, it did. Uh, so I showed up two year old church plant and just had the time of my life. My wife and I both, she ended up, uh, leading the kids ministry and I stayed on not in worship anymore. I realized I loved, I loved the 15, 20 minutes on Sunday and the rest of it. I can't lead a musician to save my life. And that was fine. Uh, but I got to stay also. And so we, uh, stayed long-term and a couple years later I had, uh, moved into groups and then moved into, like, I couldn't get anybody into groups and realized I had to own the part that was before that. So I Mm. took over the event that was our assimilation process at the time. It was very standard, very small, Mm -hmm. uh, not very well thought out yet, but it was something. And I said, Mm. can I, can I run that? Cause I think I need to, if I ever Mm. want people to do this. 
And I jumped into that. And then I have no idea how I found Greg, but I heard that there was this thing. No, you know what? It was Chaz Robbins. Shout out to Chaz Robbins. Nice. I think. Might have been. But he (laughs) told me, hey, there's this thing and I'm going to be somewhere near you uh, going to, you know, east side uh, to do this thing on assimilation. I was like, hey, I run assimilation now. I should go to that. And so I went Mm -hmm. to it and it was Greg's very first base camp uh, Mm -hmm. where he hung out for two days with like 15 of us maybe from sort of the region. And well, you know, the guy that told me was from from Chicago. So totally. Yeah. So it was a good crowd and we had a blast. And it was the first time I think that you were kind of workshopping these things mm-hmm. for a church all at once, like the big download. And I realized a couple of years ago, I transitioned away and I'm in Franklin, Tennessee now doing a couple different things. But uh, I started to realize over the course of time that almost every single thing I did, I was quoting Greg somewhere in my explanation for (laughs) it. it. Even if it was totally unrelated to assimilation, it was just something that I carried with. And so we we just stayed friends the whole time. And uh, I kind of boldly one day approached him and said, hey, can I, I think Assimilators is on fire in a good way, Mm -hmm. but I want to throw gas on it. And I got the space Mm. and time and desire. So could we try that together? And that's kind of where it's been so far. Yeah, so good. Well, I, there's a lot to unpack here, and I particularly wanted to get you guys on, if I can be honest. I joked about this in the intro. Um, I often find myself talking to churches where I am just, you know, I've, I've talked about the four Ps. I've pointed people towards your video course. I've said, hey, you know, you really should talk with, with Greg and Tommy. They're, they really know this stuff. Um, but, I, you know, the thing I, I want to describe here is it, it, you know, I think sometimes we think about assimilation. It's like, it's like marketing it's like it's like a term that maybe is like it's a cold term it's like is that is that really what we're trying to do here isn't it something deeper and it, you caught my attention greg when you said you know assimilation really it's about discipleship it's ship it's about how do we help people ultimately connect with their relationship with jesus and it's as core as that it's not it's not like some kind of you know gimmick it's at the core of our discipleship process unpack that for me why why is that true you know why isn't it just this is just something that big churches should be worrying about it's like something that you know it's a, it's a it's a process that you know needs to run in the background but but challenge us on that help us think about this from a discipleship point of view well you know something Kerry Newhoff often says is that covid was an accelerator it just accelerated mm. everything that was already happening and Mm-hmm. What was already happening pre-COVID was that churches were were just getting less and less effective at their mission of making disciples. Uh, right. Majority of churches were shrinking, uh, and those that were there, it wasn't really about growing as a follower of Jesus and representing him to the world on mission. It it, it mm. was kind of preserving their brand or their heritage or or just their their community and relationships, and so what COVID did was accelerate that to such a point is that now uh, the churches that were doing well before are even doing better, but the majority of churches are struggling even more on mission, you know, making a disciple. And here's, here's the wild thing is that we were already seeing prior to COVID that the, you know, the, the world, the stickiness of community had, especially in Western culture and especially in the States and especially where I live in SoCal, Mm. right? Mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. broken down to the like the average stay in our community in the same house is two and a half years, and so wow. what used to be taken for granted, which is connection and community, where everybody grew up in a town where everybody knew 
each other's aunts and uncles and grandparents and all that heritage. And, you know, you could take connection for granted a lot in generations past. Well, that day has been long gone. And so when there's not connection, what does that mean for discipleship? Well, here's what it Mm. means. No one has ever made a disciple of an unconnected person. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Literally connection precedes discipleship. That is why Jesus said, follow me, brought people into connection, and he had concentric circles, the one that we think about the most Mm -hmm. is the 12. But they didn't even figure out who he was or begin that journey until about a year and a half into being in that circle. In other words, the connection preceded the discipleship as we know it. There is no discipleship apart from connection. And so if if your church does not have an assimilation system or an engagement pathway, whatever you want to call it, that is really clear. And in my view, based on these four Ps, that that expresses these four Ps in some mm-hmm. way. It, 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 mm-hmm. it, it looks unique. It's called different things. Even, uh, you know, there could be a program that has different links, one week, four weeks, seven weeks, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can call their, their welcome center, whatever they want. They can have as many mm-hmm. of them or one of them or, you know, give away this or that or whatever. But it's it, it, it expresses this in some ways. These The, the one place one program, two processes, two placements. The The definition of assimilation is the journey of a person God has led to your church as a first-time guest, mm-hmm. them becoming a connected serving member. And connected means in, mm-hmm. in a small group, or if you're a traditional church, maybe a Sunday school class or a Bible class, or if you're a secret church, maybe a Wednesday believer service, whatever is your community, that's that. So it's mm-hmm. measurable. And serving means they're serving. They're a volunteer at your church yeah. and they're using their gifts and what God has given them to that growth. But the big thing that I I don't think people have seen maybe assimilation or connection or doing better at that as kind of a side dish, wouldn't we be just be a little bit more effective if we could do that or make time for it? I'm I'm about ready to say you won't be effective at all unless you do it. Wow. Because connection precedes discipleship. Yeah, that is so good. All the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that idea that connection, well, it's true, that idea that connection precedes discipleship. You know, I think so many times um one of the misnomers of large churches, you know, people will say like, "Oh, like a small I I just feel so connected in a small church." That's just actually not true. That large churches typically do not become large uh mm. until they nail this thing, until they figure out how do we Uh, get people connected? How do we get them to build relationships? And so actually there's this weird inverse thing, at least this has been my experience. You can Mm -hmm. feel very connected in a large church because they've, they've had to build an intentional engagement pathway. Um, What do you have to think about that? Tommy kind of expand that a little more, pull that apart. You know, it's so interesting too, when you say that about big and small, I had a terrible moment. It was a great moment, but looking back, it created a lot more stress for me, but it was the right mm-hmm. stress. We were in a staff meeting at some point, uh, and we were experiencing that same kind of rapid growth. I mean, really every year that I was at mission, we grew 20%, give or take wow. 1%. And it was just, mm-hmm. you create a system and then it breaks in half. And it was great. Right. I like new things. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun, but it was stressful. And we were talking about some of this. And at one point I just said in a staff meeting, look, I, I know, I know we're trying to keep up and I know it's hard and I know we're trying to get more efficient and all that. Mm-hmm. But look, I just think that we're going to get it all wrong if we don't get more personal as we get bigger. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of looked at me. I was like, they were like, but, but that seems opposite. And I said, I know we have to account for the bigness. 
by getting better at this. Mm-hmm. And True. then I had to go live that out and take charge of it, which was the hard part. But that was that was the right stress to have. And you're yeah. right, with bigger the church, like often it just means everybody's working that much harder at helping somebody find their niche. I, I was in a church recently, uh, to answer your question and, and frame this up a little bit, I was at a church recently in Baltimore uh, helping them launch a group's ministry. And they were really keyed in on this idea of an engagement path when we had the upside down, you know, the funnel, the upside down triangle picture, and it was on a whiteboard. And we were talking about where these groups fit into that funnel. I said, Hey, you could put groups all the way up top. And if you do them right, or you could put them way down here, if you do them right, it's up to Mm -hmm. you. And they said, well, we're stressed about, and they're trying to lead a multicultural church. It's Baltimore. It's like really, really, uh, really diverse area. And they're trying to bring all of that together and lead a really healthy multicultural movement. We had this great mm-hmm. conversation. And we were talking about how the steps for different types of people, and especially in different cultures, are different at the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. And they were worried that, like, well, what if people get the wrong view of Jesus and it's not hard enough. What if Jesus isn't challenging enough at the top of the funnel? And I sat for a second, thought, well, you're right. Jesus isn't challenging enough. He's not stretching your worldview. He's not pushing you out of your comfort zone. And I went up and I drew a, a regular triangle. So the inverse of the engagement pathway. And I said, I think it usually works like this. And at the top where the funnel is the largest, it was the smallest, narrowest view of Jesus. And that's fine. And it was Jesus comes all the way to where I am. And that's a really good Mm. thing to learn right out of the gate. That's massive, right? Jesus shows up in the place you don't expect him. That's the story of Jesus everywhere. But then as you get more securely entrenched and, and, and rooted in the family, because that's what this is, right? If the church is the body Mm. of Christ and it's the family of God, as you get more secure in the family, then your view of Jesus can get wider and wider Mm. because the risk of following Jesus requires the relationship of the church. And if we can get that right and challenge more and expand their view of Jesus, then it's at the bottom of that triangle. They're going, I can go anywhere. I can be with any type of person. I can do anything and I'll find Jesus there. Whereas at the top, it was Jesus comes to where I am. It's so easy. He finds me. Yes, he does. And then he says, why don't you go over there where you would least expect Mm. me? And I guarantee you'll find me there too. But you need the relationship in the church. You need these fully like uh, uh, relationally secure uh, experience. And and that's why mm-hmm. I think it's so important because again, we'll never get the broader, more expansive, more beautiful view of Jesus if we don't have the firm rooted uh, belonging inside of the church. Mm-hmm. And speaking of relationships and small church and big church, like you were saying, Rich, it People have to get out of their mind that it has nothing to do with the size of the church. It's about the mm-hmm. cult. Right. Because right. I had a friend go to uh, a church three weeks in a row of 40 people. 40 people. Oh my goodness. No <laughs> one spoke, spoke to him. Uh, Why? That's terrifying. Small churches can be clicky and impossible to break into. Right. And that's, that right. one certainly was. I had somebody meet us at our guest central uh, angry. It was a woman and and her son. They came to visit for the first time. She said, I vowed I would never, ever visit or attend a mega church. 
why do I feel at home my first Sunday? And she said it that way in that tone. It's so angry. <laughs> why do I feel at home? Like, I want to know, what is it? And yes, at the end yes. of the day, it's not a, you know, you can be anonymous in a big church and on the outside of a clique at a small one, or you can yeah. slide into both of them very easy. And what it is, is culture. And if you right. want to change culture, mobilize your volunteers gifting towards the people that God is bringing to your church to help them connect mm-hmm. using an exp- uh, your unique expression of these four Ps. And I'm telling you, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the culture changer. Okay, let's pivot in a different direction. Obviously, same same conversation. Uh, help me with some of my some of my church friends. So I'll paint a picture for you, Greg, and kind of help me wrestle through how, what kind of advice, what kind of coaching would mm-hmm. you give them? Mm-hmm. So we survived COVID. That was great. We're still here. Uh, the thing is still running. Like we're you know we're taking in revenue. We have people attending. Small groups are going. But like we, you know, when we came back from COVID, it was like, we kind of had to tell everybody, hey, can you, can you take up more spots on the team? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, cause we had less people come back and originally it was because, well, people were freaked out about the virus, but we've never really been able to refill our teams. We have a volunteer drought. Uh, gosh, I am not sure how to break that. And now we've just been running like this. It's been, here we are a year, year and a half later, and we are, it's the same people and they're burnt out. I'm not sure what to get to, how can an effective engagement pathway help me or what help me diagnose what I should be doing? Uh, help me wrestle through that. T- talk me through what we should totally. be thinking about. The, the, and, and by the way, at my church, which historically, this has been a, a real strength of it. We are feeling that same pain. Pre-COVID, mm-hmm. 40% of our auditorium attendance every weekend was a volunteer. Wow. 40%. That's incredible. When we coming out of COVID, uh, through the beginning and first half of this year, 15%. Right. Okay. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I, I am speaking That's from- That's a huge spread. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Huge to say. So I'm speaking from the pain point along with all of your listeners for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. I think- mm-hmm. uh, it. It, it, it's the first thing to talk about is just to correctly understand the reasons for the volunteer shortage. And mm-hmm. it's no longer because people are afraid of COVID and all that kind of stuff that we, we've gone past that. The, the four main reasons are that a lot of your core people got out of the habit of going to church during that time and they haven't redeveloped it. They just got out of the habit. Mm-hmm. The second is some of them and they know switched churches because, you know, mm-hmm. everything got polarized and they saw your church going the, the way that they weren't. And so they went to another church. Um, but one of the big ones is dual citizenship. They're, they are now a dual citizen of your online campus and your physical campus. And because they're dual citizens, what they do is they um, uh, they got used to attending church online. So now that that they like coming back, you know, people who were three out of four weeks uh, uh, coming to your physical church or better per month, three out of four, they're now one out of four. Right. Mm, yep. Because anything yep. that happens, okay, let's just watch it at home. Now we can do that. We got used to it. So they flick right. back and forth. So there's not that consistency and they don't want to sign up for, for their old volunteer role that makes them, you know, there on that regular interval. And mm-hmm. um, another thing in general is that people aren't seeing uh, the leaders, the staff of the church at large, aren't seeing volunteerism as discipleship back to that topic. Mm. Um, Jesus brought them into a group and then sent them out. And they still were figuring mm. out who he was, you know, mm. sent them out to serve. I am on this podcast with you right now because in fifth grade, somebody invited me to play piano for children's church. Right. I am <laughs> love, also, love once I was came to Eastside when I was 14, I, uh, I got invited to be in the high school band and to co-teach fifth grade boys with the pastor's son. 
The only reason I am a pastor today or talking to you now is because somebody invited me into the game because volunteerism isn't an elite add-on to your discipleship with the idea that mm -hmm. discipleship is just about Bible knowledge. Volunteerism mm -hmm. is one of the steps in becoming a disciple. Right. And so right. we have to see that and cast that vision so that people don't feel like they're experiencing following Jesus just sitting in a pew or staying at home and watching it on TV per se. So once you've kind of outlined those, some of those reasons and you get that paradigm in your head, there are some solutions that we have tried that we're seeing some results from, and I'm coaching other churches to, to participate with me and they're seeing results from. So here's, here's just four off the top of my head. Some are simple, some are more, more, mm -hmm. more elegant. But the first is you, you can look at your volunteer positions and change some commitment levels. Not, you know, it used to be that a lot of commi volunteer commitments was an every week deal and you just let them know when you're on vacation. Is it possible that certain ones would do a lot better and you'd get more people signing up if there was a wider rotation? And so we've done some of that. Another thing mm -hmm. is, and I love this one, combining mm -hmm. and cross-training is that, mm -hmm. for instance, in my world, guest services, but this could apply to anybody in any department, volunteers. Uh, we have a team called first-time guest hosts who meet people ahead of the services, give them a tour, do all that kind of stuff. We have Guest Central, which after the service, they get their welcome gift and share their uh, contact info. We have a parking lot team. We have greeters. Mm -hmm. uh, we have info counter, all this kind of stuff, ushers, all that kind of stuff. We, we realize, and I'll give Amy Dickinson, she's my Anaheim campus uh, guest service uh, director, she, she came up with this and, and we all took note and went, went cross campus on it. She said, you know, the greeters, the first time guest hosts and the guest central people all have the same shape uh, for mm. ministry. You know, they're all going mm. whatever. Let's cross train them so they know how to do each other's job. And oh, it's, that's good. Booking 18 people for service, I can book eight. Right. And they'll do it before and after the service. Right. That changed the game. That that took a lot of steam and hardship and burnout out of the equation. By just combining the team, she combined those three, for instance, into one new team called the welcome team. And Love even it. though they still have their individual functions when she schedules them on planning center, she can schedule who's available for which job she needs because they all know each other's job. And they can mm. serve before and after the service instead of just one time because they were just on that one unique team before. I think that that's mm -hmm. a great tactic. Um Another thing we just did, the third of four, is an all-church mm -hmm. recruitment. Because if you're suffering like we, we have been, and like most churches I talk to post-COVID in the volunteer realm, mm -hmm. this is a church-wide issue, so it deserves a church-wide response. In other words, it's right. just okay, one good. department, or leave it to the departments. Go recruit more people. You're on your own. Mm -hmm. This is a church-wide <laughs> thing. So the church staff from senior pastor, executive pastor, elder, everybody down to everybody is going to be involved. So every staff uh, identifies which positions they need the most help in and sets goals for the all church recruitment. Uh, mm. And um, you set it up so that everybody that you can publicly say from the stage that you will get a response in 24 hours. Wow. And you make sure right. that we're all set up to do that. Right. Nick Barker, our Anaheim campus. Even staff. the youth pastor guys, even the youth team, they got to respond within <laughs> 24 hours. Team. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, and some That's impossible. You can automate Greg. if you have the right um, database. Sure. You can automate some of the follow-up, but it's got to all be, you know, everybody's got to be engaged and ready. Mm -hmm. And so yep. Jake Barker, our Anaheim campus pastor, did a sermon series for two or three weeks called The Goat, which is the greatest of all time. 
tying it to when yep. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant and mm -hmm. calling people post COVID that, listen, you were created for this and life is better when you take off the bib and put on the apron. And oh, he did so that good. for two weeks. And when it was done, you could take a card and drop it in a box about what area you want to get, you, you know, uh, uh, try in. Uh, to, to get plugged in. And we had stations for personal conversations where people on iPads could talk with you about where to get started. Now we got, we, we added uh, under a little under 300 in like two weekends and 24% mm. of them were placed in two weeks in their role. Fully wow. placed. Wow. Our goal is to get at least 50%. It was less than a month ago. And our goal is to get 50% by that month. And, and you might say, Greg, why only 50%? When you do an all-church recruitment, you're, you get people motivated in the moment, but yes, may not be following yes. through. So if you, you get half yeah. of them plugged in, that's, yeah, that's, that's huge. Awesome. But the last thing has to do with volunteers recruiting volunteers and volunteers being retained as well. And that is developing a volunteer engagement cycle. I do a lot of coaching on this now, but in short, the idea of it is, and it's really a flywheel to use your word, Rich. And that's one word I borrow from you a lot that you planted in my head. So back <laughs> up, but setting well, up, it. it's I, fine. I'm big on, on automating things so that I yes. don't have to think about it. And so right. we created a volunteer engagement cycle that starts off with a, a huddle surrounding a meal mm -hmm. where you get vision, communicate changes, do some training. You can even have breakouts. And then uh, at the end of it, we always ask the same question, who wants to grow in leadership? And then whatever your church's leadership development program is, if you go to mychurcheastside.com slash people development, you, you'll see a four minute video that explains it and see all of our prep mods for, for every level of leadership Love in the department. So you can take a look at those, but we just invite people to those prep mods and then it's a five week thing for whatever level of leadership that they signed up for. And then at the end of the cycle, uh, we have leaders uh, take their teams on a potluck or do something fun to build community. Or we pass out a gift every year um, for appreciation. And so mm -hmm. what we do is we go through that cycle every six months. So the one that ends in summer is the one where you have like a social gathering with your team. And the one that ends around Christmas, that's when we, through our leaders, pass out a gift that the church bought for all the volunteers to just say, we love you. But by doing that cycle of a huddle, leadership prep mods, and then a, a hangout or an appreciation gift, go through that in two six month cycles, um, we never have to ask the question, how do we envision our volunteers? How do we get right, our volunteers right, right. to recruit their friends? How do we get them to know about this change? How do we, we show appreciation to them? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we? And um, I'm telling you, it, it's all built in because those dates, we always do the, the same dates, the same month, mm -hmm. the same week of the same month every year. And it's just a powerful, powerful way of creating not just a place to serve, but a community to belong in that people will invite other people into because they love it so much and they take they love take it. care of each other. Love it. So good. I'm glad you mentioned the prep mods and the people development site. That's a fantastic resource. Um, and we'll link to it in the in the show notes. Like that alone is gold. Like, man, I don't know churches. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's not not rocket science, but man, if you could pull that kind of thing together. That would be, you know, fantastic. That mm -hmm. is, uh, that is so good. Um, so I want to just lean in on one thing you said, uh, which, so you've given some examples of this, but just pull it apart a little bit more, uh, which is this whole idea of volunteerism, uh, being key to the discipleship process. And, you know, that we sometimes don't see it that way. We see it as like, it's, we, we, 
it's like we think, man, if we could just not have volunteers, uh, the church would be so much better. Like we see it as just like a, it's like a sideline thing. How are churches, how can we make the volunteer experience, the serving experience, a more enhanced discipleship experience, not just a people show up and we get something from them. We get free labor from them. How do we make it so it's a developmental discipleship experience? How do we, how can we inject that? Uh, you know, Greg, why don't you give us just a, another example, maybe another peek into that thinking a little bit. Well, one of the things I do in my video course, and we do it with our guests at church, we, we actually have a video that they watch. It explains um, their journey, spiritual mm-hmm. formation in terms of these kind of milestones, which they start longing for God, they start uh, relating with someone who knows him that God puts in their path, they start hearing their issues put in biblical spiritual terms. And by virtue of that, they start professing a faith, even when they don't know it's, that's what they're doing. They get immersed in it, many times baptized, uh, they start connecting the dots and, and connecting with new community. And then they're invited mm-hmm. to serve. It's like with when a kid in a family says, Dad, can I help you fix the car? And he hands them a wrench and what they feel like when they realize they can contribute. And then mm. they start, before they know it, becoming a leader, meaning influencer. So they're the person mm. now who's relating with the person who was longing at the beginning, you know? And mm. then they start um, seeing Jesus reproduced just through those relationships, through their lives. And then they become more and more like Jesus. And then they get disillusioned and broken. And then the cycle begins mm. again with a new arena. But But what's awesome about that is that literally... When somebody becomes like Jesus, Jesus, one of his main things, he said, the greatest among you will be your servant. So how can anyone grow to be like Jesus mm-hmm. who said, I came not, you know, not to lord over anybody, but to serve? How can we call mm-hmm. it discipleship? If mm-hmm. service, if we know service is part of your journey, when any of us talk about it, as far as our own spiritual formation, but if if Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant, and I came to serve, how can we even call ourselves a follower of Jesus, much less any disciple at all. If serving, mm-hmm. which is, is a vol- the church was a volunteer enterprise in the first century. You know, right. if we're not doing that, it's, we're not being a disciple. We're not being disciple, period. Right, right. Okay, this has been fantastic. Uh, listen, I, we like to try to keep these episodes somewhere around half an hour. We're going long because it's super important, but I want to push even further uh, and there's so much we could talk about. There's so many different ways I, that there's so much we could do on this front. Uh, I'm shooting from the hip here, Greg. What percentage of churches do you think in America should improve their engagement pathway? Like, is it is this a problem that's like, you know, maybe 10% of churches? Or do you think it's like the vast majority of churches? What just, just round numbers? What What do you think? How many out there, you know, that if you were to walk in, and say, hey, we could offer you some help. What percentage of those do you think you could offer help to? At least 99%. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's amazing, uh, which I would agree. This is one of those yeah. areas. I, unpack that a little bit more. What, what do you think about that? Well, the average church prior to COVID, I don't have a current stat, but I bet it's much worse, was uh, connecting only one out of 19 people who showed up that, at right. their church. Wow. Um, you know, we're, it's always goes in and out of being a challenge for us. And we really put a lot of prayer and intentionality into our, you know, system and our pathway. So um, the gold standard to Mm. me comes from the parable of the soils. Not everybody is going to be equally receptive, but we should, at Mm. the end of the day, it should average out to connecting one out of four. Right. Okay. Wow. I don't know a church, including my own, 
that regularly or in many cases even comes close to that that vision. No, that's how you know absolutely. it's a real gold standard when the one touting the gold standard is uh, actively saying, and we don't have that right now. And we're I, not there I, yet. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, we've got to keep the pressure on. I think the, the reality is that it's it's really that 100% because mm-hmm. if we're not pushing it a little bit further, then we're actually drifting away from it. Right. And if it right. really is a discipleship goal and what we're doing is creating capacity for discipleship, because engagement really is creating space for discipleship to happen. Mm-hmm. If we're not doing that, then we're just either saying no to people or we're saying no to the people that we have. Like, no, you just can't have more of this. Mm-hmm. We're not going to help you get mm-hmm. any further. And mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like what we're trying to do. And it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. I think volunteering, right. especially the idea of volunteer recruitment as, as such a crucial piece of this. Often it feels like, okay, we dialed in the roles yeah, until like, you know, two weeks from now when maybe you should change something. <laughs> Probably not that mm. often, but Inclu- it just always deserves changes. Including the standards by which somebody can serve because you need to have a minimum mm-hmm. of 20% of your volunteer positions that somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus can do yeah, right. and would be right. invited to do so. Right. Yeah. yeah so because, I, well, even... Amazing. Yeah. And values are more caught than taught. We all know that because we all tell our kids to do what we say and not what we do. But (laughs) realistically, if we want to teach people about Jesus, we should get them serving like Jesus before we try and tell them how to believe about Jesus. Right. Belong before you Because, yeah, you'll you'll actually start understanding him better and putting words to the character of Jesus if you're already acting like him and being taught to act like him. That's how we teach kids, too. Mm -hmm. We tell them to do certain things, and then we actually fill in the details later. And flipping that, getting people serving before they're ready, before they're equipped, it actually puts the pressure on us to make sure they're ready and equip them. But it also lets us... Uh, teach them about Jesus in an active way, not just an informational way, because they're never going to get the picture if it's all informational. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'd love to pivot in this direction. So there are four or 5,000 people listening in. If 90% of them need to improve, which I is, or 99% of them need to improve, man, that's a huge number. And, uh, and they all need to jump on it. And there's only 52 weekends in the year. There's only two of you. So you could maybe talk to a hundred churches a year, uh, but you guys have gone to the effort of putting together a great video course that I really do hope that, you know, all those 4,000 leaders or at least the churches they're a part of buy and 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 engage with. I can't believe how inexpensive this thing is for the amount of effort that you've put in on it. I can't believe how much value you've packed into this thing. I have, and I've, you know, they know this. This is one of those things I've recommended to other people when they're not on the podcast. I just, I really do think it makes a huge difference. Tommy, unpack. You guys have recently made some changes to the the online course you've kind of improved it made some differences to it kind of walk that through talk us through what have you changed about the uh the course and real quick before tommy shares mm-hmm. the changes because he was really instrumental in that just what it is it's yes. a six session 30 to 40 minute session but with discussion mm-hmm. questions to bring with your staff or your volunteer team you know yep. it's six sessions almost like a small group you can do that or you can make it a retreat for your staff, whatever, but it, it covers, it's in six sessions. Session one is the role of spiritual formation and assimilation and the four Ps. Mm-hmm. Session two is metrics and, and mm-hmm. uh, processes and how to do that. Then each one is one of the four Ps, uh, one on, on your one place, your one program, your, your volunteer mm-hmm. placement process, and the last one on your small group placement process. 
And uh, it. It, it ties in with our free giveaway that anybody uh, to, our, to our website, assimilias.com, will get a checklist for each of those four Ps. And that's free. Mm. And it coincides with that. So literally, you can hand pages of that out to different people who are doing the course with you. Well, we've been doing it that way for a few years. But then Tommy came and added value like incredibly. So Tommy, tell them, tell them what's attached to it. Yeah. Now. Well, you know, one of the first things that Greg told me uh, was happening was that everybody that was doing the video course uh, was moving so fast toward implementation because that's what it's all about. What I've loved about it is that it's not like, here's all the theories and here's right. all the hypotheticals and here's all the concepts. It is, if you want to implement this thing, here's the game plan. And that's what I love about it. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's so strategic and down to earth and all of that. And it's easily, easily implementable that he was having all these conversations with people not to clarify things, not to, uh, you know, fill out information that wasn't there, but people would say, Hey, okay, so I'm doing this thing. We're launching it in two weeks, but I got to get some eyes on it. Or what did you do for this? Because I'm all the way into the weeds now because we're doing this thing. So, uh, like, can you check this for me? Or can you send me that document? Or can right. I just need an example? I got to convince somebody, but show me the example. And it was mm -hmm. all this in the weeds talk. And so what we kind of wanted to do was create some more opportunity for in the weeds talk, but also mm. the people doing these things are amazing. And they're teaching me stuff that I didn't know. They're teaching Greg stuff that he didn't know about his own system because mm -hmm. they're just putting it into action in totally new context. Right, different and they're context for sure. It, and it's amazing. So we wanted to create a space for people to share that kind of stuff and learn from each other and where we could so easily engage, not just with a person at a time, but therefore with anybody at a time. So we created a community mm -hmm. space alongside the course that you get access to. And then that is where people can chime in, ask questions. We're on there and they're mm -hmm. swapping ideas back and forth. And it's, it's a really fun and, and more and more active place now uh, that we started it. And then we also just changed out the course so that it was full of all those things that Greg kept sharing on Google drive with anybody that asked, I was like, Hey, let's just, uh, let's skip that step and just put it all there. And so right. like there's 20 something downloadable resources and we just wanted to flesh it out with all the in the weeds stuff because everybody mm -hmm. was getting to the weeds pretty quickly because yep. it's all built for implementing as soon as possible. Yeah. And to, mm -hmm. to bullet point that, I mean, he added 20 plus documents, templates, resources like job description, you know, all of the stuff that people mm -hmm. ask for when they're done with the course. Well, now it's just there for, for you to use. Three months free access to that Sherpa coaching community, and people are taking advantage of that, and that's awesome. We also throw in a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session for their team. Mm, wow. And, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so there, it, we, we added a lot of value to it. So I'm pretty excited about all the new people this year since we've re-released it that are just jumping on it, using it, and just sharing the best. I, I, I just get emails that I cannot believe. If, if, if my heart wants to burst at mm -hmm. what, at what um, people are saying it's doing for their church. Oh, it's so great. I, again, I think this is a great tool. I love everything that you've added to it. I think, uh, you know, I have friends, churches that I've worked with that are engaging with you guys, and they've said the same thing, man, this is so helpful. And it's not fluff. It's not just like big ideas. It's like super practical, put into place. You know, the people who are quick to apply, who say, hey, I want to just like take this stuff and make a difference in my church, you've given them what they need, which is is fantastic on an area that we all need to improve upon. 
Uh, so I just think this is fantastic. Would love people to go and uh, per, to purchase it, to join, get their teams plugged in. Where do we want to send them online uh, to actually purchase the course? Um, it's just at your website. Where, where is that? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll let's let's make a we'll make a page on the website just for unseminary listeners, and I'm 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 pretty sure Greg's okay with this, but we'll do a twenty percent coupon <laughs> just to. Oh, he's usually wow. okay with generosity. Come on, uh, just well, because we want to make it. What? Want to make it really simple. <laughs> now I have now I have to pay him the twenty percent. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, uh, no but we'll Take make a page. Uh, I'm sure you can link it, but it's it'll be assimilias.com/slash yeah. unseminary. We'll we'll put the coupon Perfect. code there and your right. face and a really nice quote rich and, you know <laughs> we already know that that's great website but yeah but we'll yeah, definitely yeah, do, yeah, we'll that definitely do that for sure uh, that's great we'll link to that so if you just look down you know in this show notes you'll see the link there just click on that and you know take action friends like it's uh you know it's it's a great course um you know you've you've lasted this long in the conversation uh you're definitely interested in it we would love for you to to pick this up and what a generous offer thank you so much for that 20% just for listening and friends you're making money on the podcast today you know that definitely costs you more than what it what it costs you to get on the, to listen to it today so uh what a great uh, a great thing for that and all those extra resources i know for me uh, when I purchase online courses, uh, that's the stuff I love is the like, let's jump in on the templates. Give me the stuff that I can apply right away. Um, you know, just put it right. It just, you know, find and replace, put my name on it, put my, you know, my church's name right in there. Uh, super helpful. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, this has been a great conversation again, Greg, this is, I think you're, you're definitely what you're right up there with Warren bird with the repeat guests. You've come on many times and every time you come, uh, you just always have so many good things to say. So let's have you have the last word, any last word as we kind of wrap up today's episode, uh, what would you say to folks as, uh, that are listening and that are thinking about these issues? Just to remember that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And, uh, you won't grow your church. And I say this from detailed data and experience uh, in traveling the world of every size church, that you're not going to grow your church through your next outreach event or whatever that you, you'll have those. And a lot of people may come, but your church isn't going to grow uh, necessarily mm. from that. A very, like one out of 17 churches actually see growth from their outreach strategies. If they're doing four outreach strategies or events per year. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. amazing. What those are the birds out in the bush that we always try to get, but the one that's that's worth more is the one in your hand. That's the guest that God has led to your church this Sunday, last Sunday, and is going to again this Sunday. That's the one to connect. And when you connect all of those, your church will grow in number. and And if you see this as part of the disciple making process, it will grow in depth as well. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, I appreciate you guys being here today. Uh, Tommy, give us that website again where we want to send people and we'll uh, we'll wrap up today's call. Yeah, we'll make it assimilayas.com slash unseminary. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for taking time to, to help our listeners. You're welcome. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.